Hearing voices? I'm hearing voices. You're listening to Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. Paul Page writes that the Indy 500 has uniquely deep roots. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway is one of the oldest sporting venues in America. It predates Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, and the Rose Bowl. Most sporting events, the World Series, Super Bowl, the Olympic Games, are traveling festivals. The 500 happens back home again in Indiana every year. And in terms of attendance, it's the world's largest single-day sporting event. And this morning on Hearing Voices... We speak with the longtime voice of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, Paul Page. The new book is called... Hello, I'm Paul Page. It's Race Day in Indianapolis. Let's talk a little bit about your career. How did your love of racing develop? Um, I, was, uh, I was a military brat, and so um, we, we traveled the world a little bit, and... I had gone to a Formula One race when I was like 10 uh, at the Nürburgring in Germany. And I thought that was really cool. But then we got transferred and I ended up at Fort Sheridan, Illinois, just north of Chicago. And my parents insisted that I go see the Indy, Indy 500. This is 1960 and I'm 15 years old. Um, I didn't want to go. Come on, I'm a Formula One guy. I don't want to see guys turn left forever. But they insisted. I went down. Um, my my uh, relatives, my great uncle Harry Geisel, uh, took me to uh, to the race. And before it even started, I knew I wanted to be part of it. Just the the crowd, the ceremonies, the traditions, and of course, 1960 was just a killer race. Uh, Roger Ward, Jim Rathman, just you know, changing changing positions every corner. Of course, they're only scoring at the start-finish line, so it doesn't necessarily show up that way. But the combination of all those things made me say, i got to be part of Indy. I didn't know how, but that's what I wanted to do. For so many of us that love racing, it's the cars or the technology or the sport of it or the personalities. What was that mix like for you? Well, um, I, I like the excitement of the race itself. I like the tactics of the race at, you know, that distance at 500 miles because uh, that's the only time in the season we race that distance. And that's a, you get after 300 miles and it's no man's land. You never know where it's going to go. Technology, absolutely. Though when I first started started watching and becoming involved, the technology was uh, pretty rustic compared to what we have today. Um, you know, we, in fact, I, I worked, one of my ways of getting close to Indy was working at uh, uh, George Bagani's shop, and uh, I helped build a couple of the cars there. Now, when I say I helped build, I mean I was, I was putting Clecos and rivets in, and you know, just uh, do this a hundred times, kid. And, and but it, you know, I was part of that and that technology, and and so I had a baseline, and I just kind of kept that going. And of course, the drivers, drivers were legendary right from the get go. He just. Uh, they're, they're incredible men, and now I've watched, actually, I think, three generations of drivers sweep through, um, and all of them are, are pretty remarkable in a number of different ways, but it's it was so cool that I could be accepted by those people and become involved. 
The new book is Hello, I'm Paul Page. It's race day in Indianapolis, and this morning on Hearing Voices, we visit with that iconic voice of Paul Page. You were in radio. What were your thoughts, though, about the IMS radio network, which many would consider the greatest radio network of all time? Well, if they don't need to consider it, it absolutely is. It's, it's spectacular what was done there. Um, I, I, would, I decided I really like radio. I liked, uh, I liked the technology of it, and I, you know, I like the idea that, uh, like at WIBC with 50,000 watts, your, your voice was going a long way. And um, I also kind of reveled into listening to radio stations, especially the clear channels across the country. And so radio... Uh, had a draw for me, plus I like music, so I decided I wanted to become a disc jockey, and we'll see where that goes. Well, I had two disc jockey jobs. Uh, one of them, the station went automated two weeks after I was hired, and the other one had a change in format just after I was hired. So I'm looking around, and I go to WIBC just to see if they have anything, and it's uh, no on-air personality, definitely not. we got some really great guys here, but we do need somebody in the newsroom. So I said, I'll take it, I'll take it. And only after a couple of weeks there do I realize that um, Sid Collins is the sports director at WIBC. And I was just hoping to uh, learn from him and, and, and hopefully show off my skills enough that he might consider me for the radio network. Well, it went on for a number of years where um, he would talk. Uh, he actually taught me how to interview and gave me a, a lot of tips, but he'd always say, but there are no openings on the radio network. And that didn't actually happen until 1977 when he brought Jerry Baker and I in and told us both we were gonna be on the network. I was gonna be in the North Pits, which uh, amounted to the garbage pits, but it did mean that there are a lot of cars uh, out early, so you get a lot of interviews up there. So it, it, it all worked. We visit with Paul Page this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. The way that you broadcast racing has changed since 1977. What are the biggest changes? Well, um, when, I, when I became the uh, anchor for the 500, taking over from Sid, um, the race, as, as Sid had developed it, was pretty much in past tense. And that is to say something would happen in the corner. The announcer couldn't put himself right on the air. He and his engineer had to communicate with the control room who would communicate then with the producer who would then write on a three by five card, you know, crash turn two and Sid would go to it. And I wanted to get rid of that and I did. There were new, more modern technical facilities available to do that. So I, I created a system wherein um, I could push a button on my console and it would take me off of the air, but it would put me on direct to all of the announcers and the turns. And then the reverse of that, if the announcer had something, um, they could tell me in my ear because uh, I could hear them uh, very much like the IFB works in television. So all I had to do was, was say, uh, you crashed or two, you know, or whatever. And we could go, we, we'd be there instantly. I'd say, here he is, kind of thing. The new book, the technology. Of, of radio itself, uh, especially in the wireless mic area. Um, the, you know, we, when I started, we were lugging around these big, I'd say four by five by eight inch 
uh, transmitters, uh, wireless mic transmitters, just to get on the air. And uh, now, you know, it's, it's kind of smaller than an iPhone. So it's, there's a lot of changes. And we will have more Monday morning on Hearing Voices.